But Christians, we pray to a true and living God revealed in the Bible perfectly in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, it's incredibly powerful. You see, when you pray for your brothers and sisters after church tonight, you're not praying to the inner voice. That would not get a long way. You're not praying to a vague force of the world. You are praying to the sovereign, powerful creator, sustainer of the universe. Now, each Sunday night, we gather to pray. We do lots of things as a church, but one of the core activities is we pray. And we pray about our God. That's because we adore him. Christians adore their God and we remind each other of his character every Sunday night. And then we pray about people. We pray about people who are not in this room, who might be away, overseas, missionaries, not here. But we pray for people who are in the room because we love each other. We pray as one whole group, as we did a few minutes ago, but we'll pray in small groups later tonight. It's just people get together and pray, and then we'll pray one-on-one. And if you think about the last few Sundays, you'll often walk up the driveway to the car park and you'll say to someone, I will pray for you. Five powerful words. Paul in his letter to Thessalonians has great wisdom on how we can pray for one another. Now, our passage, you notice it there in 3 verse 6, it started with really good news. But that good news had not been there for very long. On the screen, if you look at 2 verse 17, you'll note that only a few months before, Paul had been torn away from this church by mob violence. You may not know much about the Thessalonians, but they'd been Christians six weeks, seven weeks. Paul had brought the gospel, some of them had become a Christian, they'd become a little church, and then suddenly their spiritual father was dragged away from them, and that was it. The Thessalonians are alone when Paul wrote this letter. They're alone in dangerous Thessalonica, and it was really dangerous to be a Christian spiritually and physically in that town. And where's Paul? 500 kilometres away. And there's a big fat border in the middle that's closed. Now, pre-COVID, none of us had experienced that, had we? We'd never experienced a border being shut, unless some of us are refugees. Like That's just not what we know. But now, with COVID, we know that personally. Some of you have not been able to see your families. You've been restricted from moving. You may have just not been able to go to that hotspot. And you have experienced what we call separation separation from the people that you love and it is deeply painful and it causes stress when you are separated from someone you love it causes stress that is what Paul is experiencing when he wrote this letter deep anxiety for these baby Christians and Paul can't bear it what does Paul do when he can't bear it he gets Timothy okay he's mate Timothy says Timothy I got a job for you 517 kilometers go for a walk And he did. Timothy walked from Paul to Thessalonica to find out how they were going. And he walked and walked. Can you imagine the wait? You guys struggle to wait 10 minutes for a text message back, right? Like he waited a 1,000 kilometres of walking to find out if these Christians were still going. But look at verse 6 on your screen. But Timothy has just now come back to us from you and he's brought good news about your faith and love. 
And he's told us that you've always had pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Timothy returns and brings good news. And he reports that they're safe. No, it doesn't say that, does it? He reports that they still believe the gospel, that they love Paul and they love each other and they haven't gone back to worshipping the old idols. They haven't gone back to fitting into Orange or Thessalonica. They're still Christian. They're different and they're standing firm in Christ. Then look at verse 8. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. That's an astonishing verse of the Bible, isn't it? Can you imagine saying that to someone else at this church? You might have actually. Remember COVID, March last year? Bang, you can't meet. April, can't meet. May, can't meet. June, can't meet. July, probably can't meet. Suddenly, you know, October, you might be coming back. You see someone you haven't laid eyes on in six months and you go, "Ah, they're still a Christian. That is the best news ever. That's not how it is in Sydney, sorry, guys. If you've ever been to Sydney, you'll find out that when lockdown finished, most Sydney-siders were just so thankful they could go out and get their smashed avo again. That was the highlight of their world. I've been in youth ministry a long time. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of young people explore Jesus. They've investigated Jesus and some of them have become a Christian. They, at kick, they might have walked out the back to that tent and had that moment. Some of you might have had that moment. That's just awesome. But do you know what really made me live as a youth guy? It wasn't the big conference. It was seeing a young person five years later still a Christian. It was seeing a young person 10 years later a Christian. It was seeing a young person 15 years later loving the Lord Jesus. Got a phone call this week from friends at um, a neighbouring church where I go to church in Sydney, and he rang me up and was asking me a bunch of questions about COVID. And he goes, oh, I just want to let you know about Paul and Meg. They just love Jesus still. 15 years ago, I led them in a youth Bible study. I left that phone call just totally thankful to the Lord because they love Jesus. Paul's a real pastor, isn't he? And real pastors lose sleep over their sheep. And that good news that the Thessalonians were okay, that they were standing firm in their faith in a dangerous world, it caused Paul's heart to just ah, calm. And you know what? Paul's homeless probably at this point. Paul's being persecuted. Paul's in distress. But the fact that those little Christians were still trusting Jesus, it gave him energy to keep going. Now he really lives. What does Paul do next? Well, what does Paul always do in his letters after he gets some good news? He just explodes into prayer. Ever read a letter of Paul? He just suddenly breaks into prayer. That's what he does here in verses 9 to 13. And as we read this prayer, I want you to have the right metaphor. This is Paul, a refugee dad, praying for his unaccompanied children. It's not just two buddies. This is a dad praying for his baby Christians who he can't see because the border is shut. But he's just got the good news. So point number one, he prays overwhelming thankfulness. 
Verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? What a verse. He explodes with joy. It's a wonderful window into Paul's heart. We read a lot of Paul as Christians, but here's the heart of Paul. He is bubbling with joy. The refugee refugee dad thinking about these young Christians because they're continuing with joy. Now, Paul, he's unique, isn't he? He's an apostle. He introduced the gospel to this church for the first time. There's nothing quite comparison. But actually, do you know what Paul is? His heart is a window into the heart of Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? You look at this because it's a wonderful picture of how our God cares for us. The great shepherd deeply cares for his sheep. The great shepherd washed the feet of his sheep. The great shepherd died on the cross for his sheep. It's a wonderful heart corrective, isn't it? We come to church tonight with so many worries. I've got worries, you've got worries, and all those worries are real. And we bring them to church and they demand energy. But amidst those worries, there's to be a godly worry as well. A godly worry for the resilient faith of the person sitting next to you tonight. We are to worry for our brothers and sisters the faith of them, that they are keeping going in trusting the Lord Jesus. Because that is what Jesus' love compels us to do. When you are loved by Jesus, your eyes go off your own worries and they're brought up to see your brothers and sisters and how they're going. And then it compels you to pray for them. And it compels you to ring or text them just to make sure they're going strong. And so as you've heard the first part of Paul's prayer, who has the Spirit put on your heart tonight? Who do you just want to find out how they're going in their faith and how you can help them? Number two, Paul prays to see them in person, a desire for closeness. Verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Paul doesn't just miss them. He desperately wants to see them so he can care for them. And then a really weird sentence, see it there? Supply what was lacking in their faith. It's a weird sentence because you might be tempted to think, oh, the Thessalonians, they weren't really Christian yet. No, 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 no. They're totally Christians. Brothers and sisters, you'll see them in heaven. But remember our metaphor? Refugee dad, baby Christians. What is a parent always doing with their kids? They are parents are supplying what their children's need. And that's all Paul wants to do. He wants to come and help these baby Christians grow. And how does he supply their needs? He reads the Bible with them. He shows them the promises of God. He helps them see who they are in God's story. Because you know what? The Apostle Paul is not just happy with a sinner's prayer. He's never just happy with someone going, "Ah, I'm Christian. No, no, Paul goes, no, that's the start. We are going to grow. And you're going to grow into a complete, mature, bold, courageous, adventurous, loving, generous Christian. 
Because that's what the refugee dad does for his orphan children. And so Paul pleads with God to enable him to be close to them. You see, that's beautiful, isn't it? He says, God, clear the way. Get rid of the mob. Open the borders, God. Paul knows the devil causes trouble, but God will overrule evil. He knows that letters, they're awesome. Text messages, wonderful. Prayers, excellent. Face-to-face, the best. Face-to-face, the best. And so Paul says, I want to be with you. Now, again, Paul, it's a wonderful window into the heart of God because you know that our God hates separation. God hates it when people are separate or distant from him. 36,000 people in Orange, he hates it that they're separate from him, the good God. And we know that because what did our God do? He left heaven and came to earth to chase them down, to bring back people who are far away, you and me, and bring them near through the blood of Jesus. Never think God is waiting for you to get to him. That's not God. God leaves heaven to chase us down because he hates separation. Likewise, we are to be intolerant of separation. We are not to be okay that our friends and family and neighbours do not have closeness with Jesus, the good God. And we are to be intolerant of what I call efficient church, rampant in Sydney. Church can be fitted into 90 minutes on your Sunday. No, 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 no. We want closeness because we want to pursue fellowship with each other so we can supply what is lacking in each other's faith. Why do we come to church every Sunday? Not just to be good, not because it's right. It's because you are supplying something to the person sitting next to you. You go to Bible study each week to supply what is lacking in the other people in that space. Because the Christian life is helping each other's grow around God's word as God's people, just like the Thessalonians. And so who's on your heart right now? Who's the spirit got on your heart tonight that you go, God, I need closeness with that person so I can help them grow? It doesn't have to be young. doesn't have to be old. doesn't have to be a good friend. But who's on your heart? Who's the spirit putting you there? And you go with that. A desire for closeness, for growth. Number three, Paul then prays for the impact of God's word in their lives. Verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. It's a beautiful picture of abundance, isn't it? I don't know what you think of abundance, but a picture of a cup just overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. That's the picture of this verse. Increasing love, overflowing love. Paul wants them to love abundantly. Now, it's important to notice the source of love here. Paul is not saying you are in an F45 gym and he is screaming at you for 60 minutes to try harder, try harder, try harder to love that snotty person sitting next to you, try harder. No, 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 no. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. 
Because only God grows love in his people. And that's because Christian love, Christians love because God loves us first. Your love, my love for each other and for our non-Christian friends and family is always an overflow of his love for us. It's not a trickle. It's abundant. So as a Christian, you sit at the foot of the cross and you drink it in. You go, how much does God love me? Oh, he loves me that. Oh, he loves me. Oh, he loves me that much. And as you drink that in each day, you will overflow in love for your brothers and sisters here and for your non-Christian friends at work and for your non-Christian friends at school and for your neighbours. It's sacrificial, concrete, spontaneous, deliberate love. And then Paul does a strange thing, doesn't he? He goes, just as ours does for you. Sometimes Paul sounds arrogant, doesn't he? He goes, hey, I'm the model. Paul's not arrogant. We all know Paul, don't we? He's a snotty sinner. He's real bad. He helped people kill Christians. Yet because of the grace of Jesus for him, because he sat under the foot and just received the love of God and was forgiven, he was so transformed that he loved others and loved others, and loves others. And so in Thessalonians, we see examples of this. In chapter 2, verse 13, Paul loved them with the word of God. As he spoke the truth in love with the Thessalonians, he was loving them. As you do a one-on-one with someone this week, and you, you read the Bible, and it's awkward, and doesn't, what's the point? Ah, oh, no, no, you're loving that person. He loved them like a nursing mum. The picture is 2.30 in the morning, crying child, mum's up. 3.30 in the morning, mum's up. 4.30 in the morning, mum's up. Mum doesn't get paid for that. She just loves the child. That's the picture. And Paul goes, I loved you like that. You never had to pay me for sharing the gospel. Actually, I worked a night shift in Thessalonica so you could hear the gospel for free. I was gentle. I was affectionate. I was ready to share everything because I love you. So countercultural, isn't it? Most of you guys are Gen Y, Gen Z. You've been taught that you love people who will love you back. That's the golden rule in Australia. You love those who will love you back because love has to be paid back. God says, no, no, that's not love. Christian love is you love and you'll never be paid back. Because your fuel for love comes from the Lord Jesus. And that's why we love everyone, just like a nursing mum. And then we love like a Middle Eastern dad, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Kind of forget Australian dads who are kind of a little more polite and reserved. Think Middle Eastern dad, they're loud, very loud, very passionate. And Paul goes, I loved you like them. I exhorted you. I challenged you to live for Jesus. So countercultural, isn't it? If I was to ask you to think, you know, what do your non-Christian friends think that love is? Love is accepting someone else's feelings, whatever they are. That's what our world is. Love is love. Whatever that person is feeling, if I accept them, I'm loving them. Paul goes, no, no, that's not love. That's, that's kind of being nice and polite. What love is is being like a Middle Eastern dad 
stepping out in faith and saying, I'm going to speak words of truth to you because I want you to grow. Because I love God and I think God's word will really help you. You're sitting here tonight probably and you're saying, I'm struggling to love someone. That's normal. That's everyone here. Everyone here is struggling to love. That's what it means to be a Christian. I want you to know that it's probably not because of a lack of trying. The problem is a lack of receiving. A lack of receiving. Because where does our energy for love come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus. And the more we sit under the cross and the more we just drink that God loves you, the more you will be fueled to love others. Just like Paul did for the Thessalonians. Just like Jesus does for you. Finally, Paul prays that God would strengthen them. Verse 13. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. It's really interesting that Paul doesn't pray that, they would, that he would make their life easier. I'm sure he did pray that, but it's not what he wrote down. What he says here is, dear God, strengthen their hearts. Now, if you've been around church or Christianity for a little bit, you'll know that heart in the Bible is not the feeling thing. Okay, Our hearts are the feeling thing, but in the Bible the hearts are, are more the core of your decision-making. It's if I was to dig right in and find out what you think is the most important thing in life, that's your heart. It's where your priorities come from. It's where your personality, your will comes from. And what does Paul pray? He says that God would strengthen your hearts so you would be holy. That at the core of your being, you would want to be holy like Jesus. Now you'll say to Paul, hey, man, I'm busy. Don't you know how busy I am, Paul? Why would I want that? And Paul would say this, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back. And on that day, there will be an assessment of all people. And what does a Christian do? We live knowing that's happening. And we live knowing that that is our grand final or that is our harvest. And it shapes our hearts, our core being. We live not for the end of the HSC. We don't live for what happens post-uni. We don't live for what our family can live out. We don't live for our mission trip or whatever. We live knowing that we are going to meet a holy God and we are going to be ready. You're a Christian here tonight. I want you to hear something right now. You're ready. You are 100% ready. Because the moment you put your trust in Jesus, he declares you not guilty. The Bible word is called justification or justified. You are declared guilty. You've had a bad day today, you're not guilty. You had a really bad sinful day yesterday, you're still not guilty. Six years of age, not guilty. 96, not guilty. Nothing changes because it's all based on him. You go to bed every night knowing that for sure, 100%. But please never think the Christian life is sitting in an airport waiting room. You don't just sit as a Christian and wait doing nothing. No, no, no. Every single day God by his word and spirit is changing you 
to be like him so you're ready to meet him. I love Christmas. I love it so much because I'm forced to just reflect on the coming of God. And I spent last December in Luke 1 and 2. I just meditate on Luke 1 and 2. I'm so, so convicted by the godliness of Anna. If you don't know the story of Anna, she was an old priestess and she just went to the temple every day and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she was waiting for God to fulfill his promise to send the Saviour. And she prayed and she waited and she prayed. She's a great model of living with the future in mind. And Christopher Ash says this, One good answer to the question, what sort of church is 630 church? Or what sort of church are we going to be? Or what sort of person am I going to be? Is to say this, we are a community of men and women who are waiting for Jesus to return. That's our identity. Not waiting passively as if we wait and never do anything. No, that's nonsense. We wait actively. We go to work. We go to uni. We go to school. We love God. We love people. We give our lives for Jesus and his gospel and we just pray every single day, your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. And as we do so, we are never satisfied by what this world offers. We are never disappointed when we do not experience healing or reconciliation or happiness in this life because our hopes are always set on the greater day, the coming of the Lord Jesus. It's a great lesson Anna teaches us, doesn't it? We, we live for that day. God knows, sorry, Paul knows that if we forget that day, we lose focus. It's like a sport team forgetting they're going to grand final. They just don't practice. And Christians who forget that Jesus is coming back will not suffer for Jesus in orange. They'll never will. They'll just fit in with the world, just like the Thessalonians would have. And so what does Paul pray? It's beautiful, isn't it? Hey, God, strengthen us to live holy lives. Why? Because you're coming back. We're ready. We want to be ready. I will pray for you. Five powerful words. Paul did it for the Thessalonians, didn't he? You can imagine Paul being dragged out by the mob and him screaming, I will pray for you. This is what he did. This is his prayer overwhelming thanksgiving that they're still going strong, closeness so he could supply what there's lacking, the growth of overflowing love and for them to live holy lives with the end in mind. What are we going to do with this? You guys love each other so much. I'm so, I mean, today I'm just completely convicted by the way God has helped OEC people love each other. I just, that's why I'm driving home tonight just Praising God because I see people love each other. We, we need to pray that that just keeps going. And then we do that by praying for each other. You pray these four things for every single person you love at 630 Church. You want to know how to pray for people this year? You just pray those four things. Don't worry about them. You can just go to the Bible and look them up. They're in 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 13. You just pray for each other. That's, there's a great prayer for each other this year. Or if you're just wondering what to pray for yourself in 2021, Pray those four things. Help me to keep going. I want closeness with you. I want to love people like you, Jesus. And I want to be holy because you're coming back. Let's pray.
Almighty God, you are just so good. And we thank you so much that you love us. You love us abundantly, more than we could ever realise. We thank you that brothers and sisters who we love in this church and in other churches that have met today in this place and Christians across Orange and Christians across the world are standing firm and we rejoice. We pray for, for closeness as we start new groups this year, as we build new friendships. And we ask, Lord, that we would never, ever have a bucket big enough for the amount of love you have given us so that we can overflow it to others, even those who are not in this church. And, Lord, just make us holy so we know that you're coming back. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.